0: Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 160. Today, we've got the immense pleasure of having as our guest, Jonathan Stark. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about something I like. With WP Security Audit Log, you can keep an audit log of everything that's happening on your WordPress and multi-site. By keeping a record of every change that happens on your WordPress site, you can ensure User productivity meet regulatory compliance requirements and identify WordPress security issues before they become a problem. For example, the plugin keeps a record when users log in and out of WordPress, change their role, passwords, or other profile settings, change anything in a post page or a custom post type, uh, if a user on a WordPress multi-site is added or removed, if someone uploads or deletes a file, changes a password or email address, If a user installs, activates, deactivates, upgrades, or uninstalls, a plugin or theme is updated or upgraded. Uh, If there's a failed login attempt for a four-error request, and so much more. WP Security Audit Log is WordPress's most comprehensive user monitoring and audit log plugin. It's installed on 40,000 websites. You can also extend the plugin's functionality with reporting, email notifications, syslog integration, and other premium add ons. So visit the plugin website at WPSecurityAuditLog.com for more information. And if you use the coupon code WPTonic25, you'll get a 25% discount during your checkout. Now, on to the show. Jonathan, for those that are those of our listeners that don't know who you are, just tell them briefly uh, who you are and and what you're all about. Sure. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Um, my name's Jonathan Stark. We got a
1: full contingent of Johns on the episode today. I think. <laughs> yeah, we do. to get a little confusing. Uh, but yeah, my name's Jonathan Stark, and I live in lovely Providence, Rhode Island, which is near Boston, in the United States. And I have a two businesses, actually. One is a mobile strategy consulting business where I help credit unions sort of make the leap to the post-PC era. And I've been doing that sort of thing for about 10 years as a solo consultant, a little over 10 years. And about two years ago, my other business that I started as kind of a side hustle is business coaching for software developers where I help them get better clients and grow their profits by breaking the trading time for money habit so break out of that hourly trap
0: definitely and i'm on your email list so i can definitely attest i've gotten a lot out of it i also want to introduce my other co-host another jonathan uh jonathan d tell us about yourself the big d the big d well
2: folks um i'm the founder of wp tonic we're a maintenance support company for bloggers for WordPress consultants, for developers, for designers, anybody that wants a trusted partner, we can help you out. Isn't that right, John?
0: Absolutely. And I'm John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design, and I focus specifically on WordPress development and local SEO for blue-collar industries like construction or manufacturing. The uh, first question I have for you, Jonathan, is, and if anybody's listened to you or read your work, they understand that you're a big advocate for value pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, how does value pricing differ from traditional hourly-based pricing? And, and why are you such a strong advocate for it? Sure. Uh, well, value pricing is just one of, the,
1: one of the sort of alternative approaches to hourly billing that I advocate. But it's the one that I advocate for project work. And the difference really is it's night and day. There's almost no comparison, but just to give people a, a quick sort of crash course on what it is, it's kind of like doing fixed price project works, uh, project work, but it's on steroids. So instead of calculating how much you should charge for a given engagement based on how hard it's going to be for you, how long it's going to take you to do it, or how much you know effort or number of bodies you have to throw at it instead of that, you calculate the price based on the value of the business outcome to your client, and you sort of create a multiple of that or a fraction of that. I should say it's like maybe if somebody's going to make a hundred thousand dollars, you can charge them a tenth of that easily, and have it create like a no-brainer price for the client. So it's just a different way of calculating a fixed price.
0: Now, one of the things that you talk about a lot is the hourly billing it almost puts the service provider and the clients at cross purposes. Um, can you speak a little bit on that? Sure.
1: I mean, hourly billing is bad for everybody involved, the client, you, the seller, whether you, you know, whatever you do, let's say you do web design uh, it's bad for the project itself. It's corrosive to the relationship, the collaboration in the project, because like you said, people are at cross purposes. the The fact of the matter is, the faster the project gets done, the better it is for the client. I've never had a client say, hey, could you take a little longer? We don't wanna release it so fast. You know, They always want it yesterday. Yesterday would be better than tomorrow. So it's always good for them to have it done more quickly. But if you're getting paid by the hour to do that project for the client, you're gonna make more money the longer it takes. And I understand that if it takes a really long time, the client's gonna to start to get angry and then you have sort of these ancillary problems. But the fact of the matter is, the longer it takes, the more you make, which has a, a whole bunch of horrible side effects uh, that we can go into if you if you'd like to drill into that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I definitely let's talk about that. Uh, you know, what are the side effects of of basing uh, you know project based work on hourly billing as opposed to value based?
1: Right. So. There are a couple of here i'll give you like three three things that are bad for everybody the first one is that it hourly billing encourages a mentality that uh, sort of it encourages aimlessness so typically the way it works is that somebody will come to you the client will come to you and say hey john i understand you you know i got i heard your name I heard that you're great at web design. Maybe I listened to the podcast and we know we need some web design work done. Uh, Could we talk about that? Here's a punch list of things that we'd like you to do. We need, you know, the the buttons to be bigger, the logo to be bigger. We want to change some colors here and there, add some photography, so on and so forth. And they give you this sort of punch list of things that they want you to do. If you charge by the hour and, you know, and, and of course they're in a hurry. And if you charge by the hour, it's likely that, that you'll say, okay, my rate is $100 an hour or $200 an hour or whatever it is. And they somehow, and this is the, the mystery to me, somehow they make a decision based on that. It's totally irrational that they would make a decision based on that, that just your hourly rate. But then but for some reason they say, okay, go for it. So you start doing that stuff. And you get to the end of the project and, or you, you get to the end of the list. It's not really a project. It's just a list of stuff they want you to do. And perhaps they give you some more stuff to do in the, in the process. And the scope sort of creeps all over the place. And at the end of it, there's, if you hit some kind of business outcome, some desirable business goal with those changes, it was pure luck because no one ever discussed what the desired outcome was and. The, the effects of this are probably familiar to all of your listeners or anyone who bills by the hour, especially for design work, is that you get into these meetings where, you know, y- you have these debates about what color blue the blue should be or how big the logo should be or where something should be placed on the screen. And it turns into this kind of like, uh, you know, the, the highest paid person in the room just gets to decide ultimately what, you know, how the design's going to look, which is crazy. Because what really should be happening with design is that it should be in service of a goal. And if nobody has defined a goal, then you can't uh, you can't succeed. If there's no goal, you can't succeed. And if you can't succeed, then they're going to regret spending the money on this thing. They might not blame you, but they're going to regret having spent the money because it didn't deliver a business outcome. They wasted the money.
0: That, that's just the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I... I'm glad that you brought that up is in our community the WordPress community I've seen a lot of people treat value pricing like it's the devil mm-hmm. um and and people have this assumption that value pricing means you're just trying to charge as much as you possibly can mm-hmm. and to me value pricing is is it does not work and it cannot work unless you identify the overall business objectives of a project. If mm-hmm. you don't dig in and do that, uh, it, it's really tough. I, I would love to hear uh, a little bit more about you know the difference between standard like hourly project how those run as opposed to like a value based project when you're doing discovery. Sure. Let, let me
1: address the 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 evil part first. <laughs> so the thing that the thing that people don't realize. And it's probably, it makes sense that they don't realize it because when people online talk about value pricing and they're saying how great it is, they emphasize the fact that it has dramatically increased their profits. So it seems like gouging. Or, oh, you got paid $65,000 for a WordPress website? That's insane. Uh, the client got ripped off. You're a bad person. What, but what they don't realize is that value pricing cuts both ways. So imagine a scenario where somebody says, hey, we want to pay you 100 bucks an hour to do a bunch of stuff for us. And then you do it, and they, they end up spending 50, you know, whatever, $50,000 with you. And they get no value out of it because they didn't ever define an outcome. You never asked them for an outcome. You just went to work like a pair of hands being told what to do. And, you know, is that fair? I don't think so. They they inflicted it on themselves, perhaps. But I feel that as the experts for on the thing we do, let's say web design, but it could also be illustration or photography or, or anything else. I feel like it's incumbent on us as experts to say, to have a little bit of ethics and say, you know, I, I understand that you want me to do all these things, but I don't see how they're going to deliver any kind of business outcome for you. It doesn't make sense to me why you would make the logo bigger, pay me all this money to do all of these things. How are you going to get any return on investment? You know, and if you, if it, this is the beauty of value pricing, is that it makes you have that kind of a conversation at the beginning so you can determine whether or not the client's going to be better off when you're done, you know? So so when I say that value pricing cuts both ways, oh, I can kind of answer your second question by describing a, a, where value pricing uh, saves the customer. So it's a good thing for the customer. So customer comes to me and says, hey, here's this list of things that you uh, we need done. Maybe uh, it's a response. We're thinking about doing a responsive redesign. Um, could you update our checkout? Could you make the buttons a little bit bigger so they work on the phone? Could you change some of the graphics so they download a little more quickly? I could just say yes. I'm 200 bucks an hour, and I'll do all those things for you. But instead, what I would say is, you know, I would get on the phone with them and have a conversation. I'd say, like, tell me everything you know about this project, everything that's, uh, you know, everything that you think you need me to do. And they'll go through that and they they'll sort of brain dump for 15 20 minutes, and then once they've exhausted that thread. And I'll say, "Awesome, thanks for that information. I've got all the notes here. Um, can we I, I need a little bit of big picture context, though? Could we back up and just tell me why you're doing this? why Why do you want to do this? Why not just leave things the way they are? And they'll say, "Oh well, we could never do that." And then they'll explain why they couldn't do that because maybe a big competitor is eating their lunch or there are some changes in their industry or or something as simple as the CEO just, you know, finally, said it's this is a prerogative or this is a new strategy this is a a high priority so they told us to go find someone like you like okay why you know then you go through these 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 series of questions i call why questions where you ask them why you know like i said why are you going to do this then you go into a series of questions about why do it now why not why didn't you do it six months ago did something change why don't you do it six months from now why don't you wait Why not put this off as long? This is going to be expensive, risky project. It's like heart surgery. You know, we don't want to lose the patient. If we can put it off or if we want to research this a little bit more, you should. You know, if you're not 100% positive of this. And they'll say, no, we can't do that. You know, we, you know, for whatever reason, they'll come up with some reason why they can't wait. And then the last series of questions, they'll say, well, why are you considering an expensive resource like me? Why don't you just do it internally? You mentioned that you have internal web developers. Why don't you just have them do it? Or why don't you outsource it to uh, some, someone overseas that, uh, you know, I'm in the U.S.? Why don't you outsource it someplace that has, a, you know, uh, lower prices? Or why don't you just have someone on Fiverr do it? Why would you come to someone like me who's going to be probably the most expensive option? And they'll explain why. Oh, we thought about that. We've tried it in the past. We got burned. We don't want to deal with the time zone. We want someone local. They'll have some reasons for you. So at the end of that conversation, after I have basically tried to talk them out of doing the project with me, I'll either know and, you know, that, that yes, I'll be confident that there's some way that their, their business will be better off after I'm done with the engagement than they were before I started the engagement. And they will have convinced themselves of the same thing. And we'll all have an idea of what the value is. You know, it's like, you know, why do this now? Well, because we'll, if we don't do it, we're going to have to hire six people, you know, so that's a lot of salary. Tell you what, I can I can do this for the salary of one person, which will be dramatically less money than it would cost you for six people. But it cuts both ways, okay? So imagine you have that conversation, and they're like, "Yeah, maybe we should outsource it," or "Yeah, we don't really need to do this right now. It's not that urgent." Or you know, maybe they're just kicking the tires, or maybe you say, "You know, you're asking me to do this custom this custom thing for you. But did you know there's a WordPress plugin that basically does this, and you could get it for." 20 bucks a month or something and you know if you if it turns out that the value to the client is really low i can't just charge whatever i want i can i have to charge a fraction of what the value is to them so i can't just go around saying to everybody like oh everything's $50,000 everything's $150,000 it's just that you calculate your number based on something real which is what it's worth to the client instead of something made up like the hour, some hourly rate that I pulled out of thin air and some estimate of the number of hours I think it might take, which I pulled out of thin air. And then I multiply those two things together and come up with a number that is completely made up and probably wrong. So, you know, so for people who think it's evil or bad for the client, I say it's the exact opposite. I think hourly is bad for the client.
0: I'm glad you came around to that last point. Uh, And, and just to recap, like what I heard for, for everybody else you can't just go around it, it, Not every client is going to be like a $50,000 client. Right. Like if it's just like the local dog walker or the, uh, you know, person who has like a home-based business, their value is going to be very low, mm-hmm. but the price that you're giving for each, pro- each project is actually based on the value that they're getting, mm-hmm. not j- the value that you're trying to get for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, It's about them really. They're defining 100% focused on the
1: client. And the, the, the beauty of this is, and the reason why I started doing it in the first place is because it's the only way to guarantee a hundred percent customer satisfaction. So before I started doing this, I worked in a firm, I was the VP of a sort of a boutique, uh, software development firm. And it was very common and we were completely honorable. We did everything we could to make our clients happy. And it's almost impossible with hourly billing, unless you're amazing at estimating, doing hourly estimates. If you are amazing at it, okay, maybe you can you can keep your clients happy. But when you're managing a team and things happen and communication, you know, whatever, it's just really hard to, before a, a, a long engagement, you know, three to six to nine months, it's impossible to define everything that's going to happen. And to know all the surprises, you know, we're going to pull these, rip these walls down. It turns out you've got knob and tube wiring in the house. This completely changes the estimate, but your walls are torn down. So what do you want to do? Do you want us to put the walls back up, which is going to cost you? Or do you want us to replace the electrical in your house, which is going to cost you a lot more? You know, so surprises happen and it blows estimates all the time. And when a when you give an estimate to a client, they hear price. Like you say, oh, here, here's my estimates, $50,000. If you uh-huh. go over that 50, they are not going to be happy. And then they turn into clients from hell, like start micromanaging you to try and get control of the project back and fighting recriminations. They go over hours entries. They try and get discounts on stuff. Well, how come you charged us this much last week and two weeks ago it only took one hour and last week it took two hours. So now you're in this back and forth, like debating what hour was worth what and start eating hours. It's. I mean, I'm sure people who bill by the hour have had this experience from time to time, if not most times.
0: Yeah. And a few things here too, when we're talking about discovery and and how many questions you're asking, it occurs to me that that if you're doing that with hourly, that's going to be a source of resentment from the client because they're just like, well, just do what I tell you to do so I can save money. Why are you asking me all these questions? Mm -hmm. If you're billing them for that on an hourly model, that's going to cause resentment. And yeah,
1: yeah, it, that, that happens a lot. It's because their their mentality is is in the wrong place. They're viewing you as a voice controlled mouse, mm-hmm. and you don't want you don't want that kind of client. You can't do you can't have that kind of a conversation with every client. In fact, the ones you can't have it with are called bad clients. So you want to not work with them. And if it, if they churn out of your sales process because they're unwilling to share their goals of their business with you, the goals of the project anyway, then how can you do a good job for them? The only way you can do a good job for them is to do as you're told. And that's not the kind of relationship that I really want to
0: have with my clients. Definitely. No. And, and a great point that you make too is unless you're great at estimating, if you're willing by the hour then your estimates are almost always going to go over, and that is going to be uh, a source of client dissatisfaction and If customer satisfaction and business objectives are the main goal, then you you have to be able to do both. But why do you think so many you know agencies or just even freelancers default to hourly? Is it because they tried uh, value pricing at one point or some sort of you know f- flat rate or fixed? You know, fee, and they they wildly underestimated, and they just never go back. Or a lot of times, yeah. I mean, it's funny when you think about it. When
1: I when I first went solo freelancing, I didn't decide to bill by the hour. I didn't know there were there are other options. Like my my first decision when I went uh, when I started freelancing was what should my hourly rate be? I didn't even question the notion of having an hourly rate, and I'm sure that's true for most people when they first. You know, leave the uh, the relative risk free zone of uh, full time employment, and they go out on their own. The first question is like, how how much should I charge per hour? And then you look around at people who you think are, you know, roughly comparable to your skill level, and you you know adjust up or down based on if you think you're better or worse than they are. It's insane. It makes no sense because it has nothing to do with the you know the outcome that you're going to deliver. It's like, it's like a, a carpenter, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm better with a skill saw than that guy. And he charges $50 an hour. So I'm going to charge $75. It doesn't matter how good you are with a skill saw. If you make a, a terrible house, like a house that the people don't need, it could be a beautiful house that they don't need. You know, it's just useless. So a lot of people don't even question it. So a, a big part of my mission to rid the earth of hourly billing is to at least have people question what their their the way that they price their services. So then then some people will try fixed bids and get killed, you know, lose money, a lot of money, and then they'll say value pricing doesn't work. But they didn't value price if they calculated the amount if if they calculated their price based on something like this. Well, Basically, an hour limit. I think it's going to take me uh, 20 hours. And I think, uh, you know, and I charge $10 an hour or $100 an hour. So it'd be $2,000. And I'm going to tack on 15%, and that'll be my profit, and everything will be great. Yeah, of course you're going to get killed because you're wrong. Your estimate's wrong. And the 15% isn't even enough margin to correct for your wrongness. So you've made no profit whatsoever. And then you're like, fixed bids don't work and the reality is that you're calculating your price based on the wrong thing. You're calculating it on your cost, which is, you know, t- sometimes referred to as cost plus or time and materials. And if you're calculating your prices that way, yeah, you're going to get killed because you're there's no margin. There's no way for you to do it right. So if instead you keep your eyes out for projects that are hugely valuable, to your clients or prospects, I should say. So you keep your eyes out for projects that are just wildly valuable. Million dollars a year, going to improve the profits of this company by a million dollars a year. Or this person who is a millionaire is, it doesn't have to be a millionaire, but just, you know, I'm sort of exaggerating to make a point. This person who is a millionaire is being driven crazy by this inefficiency in his or her business. So fixing that inefficiency is going to be worth a lot of money to someone who has a lot more money than time. So if you, if you notice when these kinds of jobs come in, then you're like, oh, this is, probably going to be, this is probably going to be a great win for them because I can do it for a tenth of what it's worth to them. So they get 10x ROI. And I can probably do it in a teeny amount of time. So my costs are infinitesimal, like not even worth considering based on the price that I can charge for it. So yeah, this is a great project for me and for them. So then you go ahead and do it. And you know, people always ask me, "How do you calculate the profitability when you're doing value pricing?" And I'm like, "You don't even think about that. Everything's very profitable because you're throwing away all the stuff that's low value. So you just wait for the really high value projects." And there's, I mean, it's re- it's a ridiculous question to someone who's used to doing it. I don't. Even, it's almost like I don't even know how to answer it.
0: Totally. Um, I think we're up against our first break, or our one break. So, when we come back, we're going to be talking more with Jonathan Stark about value pricing. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner.
1: They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, thirty day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's
0: wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back from the break, and we're talking with Jonathan Jonathan Stark about value pricing. Uh, I want to ask one question before I turn it over to the other Jonathan uh for people who are maybe coming from the hourly uh, billing based world and and they're trying to get into value pricing, what's a good way to try and transition uh, should they try something like a product ladder or product sized uh consulting where they have some sort of offering where they, where there's blocks of uh, uh, service or mm-hmm. yeah that's
1: important to talk about because I get really passionate about about breaking out of hourly billing, breaking out of that hourly trap. And it can come across like, I want everyone to do it immediately. And that's, that's not what I want because it's hard. It's really hard because you oftentimes have to change a lot of systems and processes inside of your business because hourly billing is like baked into everything from accounting to reporting to invoicing. It's just everywhere. So it takes time to root that out and it takes time to change the way you think and it ch- takes time to change the way your clients engage with you so it's it's a process and it's something that you should do in a very it, it can be risky because if you if you're really bad at determining value you're going to price yourself too low and then you're going to ha- get killed uh or if you don't understand how to control scope on a project like this you're going to get killed so it's very de- like I feel like I'm giving people a loaded gun and they're just sort of like oh what's this you know <laughs> So I'm glad you asked what are sort of first steps to start to do this. And in in my opinion, the first steps are to stop doing – stop trading time for money, but don't go straight to value pricing. Value pricing is kind of like the 400-level course where it's much easier to do things that are uh, a little bit safer where you're not calculating your price based on the value of the individual project because that's, that's black magic. It takes a while to get good at that. But you can at least break the, the, that sort of uh, time for money thing, which will change the way you think. It'll start to change the way you think about uh, the way you run your business. And you can start to change your systems so that hourly billing is like slowly bleeding out of your company or your business and you, you don't have to be as dependent on it. So a great thing to do is to, you know, the next time you do are asked for a proposal, somebody will say, hey, we want you to do this web design work. You can add, you just do everything normal, like you normally would. You talk to them like you normally would. You probably try to define the scope. You probably ask them what sorts of things they want done instead of asking them why. Um, you say, okay, what things do you want me to do? You get a list of those things. You go back to your office and you think, all right, uh, it's probably going to take me this long. It's probably going to... Uh, here's my hour, so my estimate, I'll estimate it at $10,000. So that's probably the way that people normally do their their proposals and do their uh, sales. Well, the change that I would ask you to make is to just take that number, the the $10,000 number, and multiply it by 85% and come up with $18,500 or pounds or whatever. But just increase it by 85%. And add that as an option on the proposal as a fixed price. So, you know, it'll be ten thousand dollars. I will do these things you told me to do. I expect that I'll be able to do it for that amount of money in that range of time, but I could be wrong. And my level of confidence is maybe 75%. I'm reasonably confident, but I'm not positive. Things there could be surprises. Then you say, now, dear client, if you would like me to take the risk of the surprises for you, I you can pay me. $18,500 Eighteen thousand five hundred dollars upfront, one hundred percent in advance, and I will not—you will not pay another dime. You won't have to worry about change orders. We will achieve what we are setting out to achieve here, and that—and you can uh, know in advance of making your buying decision exactly how much it's going to cost, just like you were going out and buying a house. You know, you know the price before you decide to buy it. So. Uh, oh my, my! The reaction that I get when I suggest this to people is freak out. They're like, "No way! I, I would never commit to eighteen thousand five hundred, or you know, only uh, an eighty-five percent premium." To which I say, "Maybe your ten thousand dollar number isn't very solid. Maybe you should increase your estimate. If you're not comfortable, if you're not comfortable that you're at least within an eighty-five percent margin of error, then your estimate's too low." So come on, be honest with yourself, raise your estimate to a point where you're comfortable saying that an 85% premium to take on that additional risk is fair. In fact, this might even be a good way to calculate your estimate in the first place is to come up with a number that you would consider doing as a fixed price and and backing into your estimate. But but anyway, if you do this, you'll be surprised how many clients are happy to pay the extra 85% to lock in a number. Because if they've got any experience working with hourly talent, they know that it's, it's a very scary process because it's like, it's like the, the person who, you know, the developer in this case or the designer is like driving this bus and the client's strapped to the front of it. And you're both going to end up in the same destination, but it was a much scarier ride for the client than it was for the person who was kind of in control, which is the person who's doing the development or the design. It's a yeah. horrible experience for the client so that's that's one way to do it add a fixed price option to an hourly estimate
0: i i love that idea i think it's brilliant um because people want to know how much it's going to cost and i think a lot of time they look at estimate like equals price but estimate is just an estimate uh jonathan oh uh, jonathan. yes jonathan big, d. Big
2: d. it's the big d here folks so jonathan um What's what's your response to paid discovery and mm-hmm. also a lot of people in the WordPress development, in the WordPress industry, I'll put it that way, the thing is to get on a retainer. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people love being put on retainers. Mm-hmm. So what what's your attitude to paid discovery and then being put on retainers?
1: Yeah, long long answer to both questions. So I'll split them up. So the first one is paid discovery. And John mentioned earlier productized services. And that's, that's my second approach for people who are getting started with ditching hourly billing is to consider productizing one of their services so that they can offer it at a published price on their website like most things that you would buy. I mean... Pretty much everything we buy in life has a published price. There are very few things we decide to buy without knowing how much they're going to be. Very, very few. So what I would say is uh, creating a productized service is a really good fit for transitioning away from hourly, at least dipping your toe in, the, in, in that world. And paid discovery is a, a thing that is commonly used as a productized service. You wouldn't want to call it paid discovery because that clients don't react well to that language. But if you call it something like a roadmap or an audit or something like that, it can make a lot more sense. So if you imagine a situation where someone comes to you and they say, hey, we want you to do these 10 things. And you say, well, you you try to have that conversation with them. You're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be worth it to you to pay me all, you know, I, I I'm just get just rough guess. This is going to be at least in the $50,000 range or whatever range it is, some expensive number, some number that seems expensive to them. And you'd be like, I don't understand how I like, I'm not, I'm not convinced that it makes sense for you to give me that money. Like, I don't want to take your money unless you're going to benefit from it. Cause I want to have like a long and fruitful relationship with my clients. And if you're losing money, every time you pay me, it's not going to be a long relationship. So convince me that it's a smart thing to do for you to hire me. And if they can't do that, which is sometimes the case because they don't, they almost, they know that they don't know a lot of things. So like they, if, if the client's in a situation where they know they're in a like new territory, uh, a, a classic example from my world is that somebody is on a WordPress, you know, this sort of, um, WordPress install that they kind of cobbled together themselves to create an initial business, but it's a total disaster area and they don't have a dev environment. It's just a mess. You know what I mean? It's like they did a good job building a business by themselves on this WordPress platform, but it's a mess. And now they have a revenue stream and they can't grow. They can't do a million things because they're, they've kind of painted themselves into a corner because they're limited set. They know they need to do something, but they don't know what to do. And there are a whole bunch of things they could do. So you could say, well, before you have me come in and try and patch this thing and that thing and this thing, which isn't really even going to work, probably, and even if it does, it's a Band-Aid. If you actually are making $50,000 a month from this thing you put together, you've got, you've, you've, got, you've, got, you've got a dream to make the leap to a more robust platform that's going to support the next five or 10 years of your business. So let's talk about your comfort level with moving to something like maybe AWS or WordPress VIP or whatever, whatever the new platform is, whatever, whatever it's going to take to untangle this Gordian knot they've created for themselves. And they'll be like, yeah, you know, these are a lot of good options. It's, you know, I, I like the idea of that. I would sleep better at night. I would, you know, I would stop having to answer these customer complaints constantly. Those would drop close to zero and you say, okay, here's what we should do before you do any of this. Let's diagnose the situation. I'll come up with what I see as the steps you should take, a prescription for you. Once we've got that determined and you're, you'll actually know what uh, the right path is, let's say, then you can decide if you want to take the next steps. And if you do, you can decide if you want to do it with me or you can take this out to bid for somebody else who does implementation for less money than me. But once we have a plan in place, in fact, you probably should take it to someone else because I'm, I'm kind of expensive to be doing this kind of work, you know, the, the implementation work. You should probably take it to someone else, but we can cross that bridge when we come to it. So technically what you'd be doing is paid discovery, but that's not to say that it's not incredibly valuable. So if you, if you say, uh, what you're doing is giving them a diagnosis, and that's valuable. So like you go to the doctor because you have abdominal, abdominal pains, so you go to your primary care physician, you're like, my stomach's killing me. Knowing if it's an appendicitis versus last night's Taco Bell is, is a dramatic change in your mood. Like you could be like, I think, I think my appendix burst, no, you just had fourth meal and it's, it's coming out wrong. You know, knowing that is an incredibly, is, is a relief. And if you've got kids, dear listener, you know this feeling because if that kid's got abdominal pains, you're freaking out. And if the doctor can say, no, 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 it's nothing serious, he just needs to do this or that, it's a huge relief. I get chills just talking about that. My kids, my, you know, it, like when that happens to your kids, you're freaked out. And just knowing the level of severity is wildly valuable. It's so valuable. So if you imagine engaging with your clients in that sort of diagnostic and prescriptive phase of the engagement where you're really figuring out how serious the problem is, what the problem is, maybe they don't even know what the problem is, the website's slow. Well, it could be a hundred things. You know, once you figure out what the problem is, then you can prescribe what the course of action that you think they should take. And then it's a separate step to actually implement, you know, the therapy. So in fact, my entire business has become those first two steps diagnose and prescribe. And I don't do any implementation work anymore. I form that out to other people. I just say, I just make an introduction. I don't even take a cut or anything. It's like, okay, here's what you need to do. Here's your problem. Here's what I think you should do about it. And here's a company that can do it for you if you don't want to do it yourself. And, you know, I don't see that as, um, you know, paid discovery kind of sounds like it's not valuable and you're just, you're just trying to get paid to do a proposal. That's not it at all, in my opinion. And I think if you present it to if the if if you present it to the right client in that way, they'll jump at it, you know, especially if it's at a published price on your site. So a thousand dollars for a mobile architecture or a thousand dollars for a cloud migration plan. And here's what's involved. Here's what you'll get out of it at the end. You know, it'll take this long. I only need this much of your time. I'll need to talk to your lead developer once or twice. And it'll be done within two weeks. At the end of that two weeks, you'll have either a a report or video of me describing exactly what needs to be done, how to send out a proposal to these three companies that I recommend. And, you know, thank you very much. So what you end up with is, um, you know, in this case, we're talking, you could theoretically call that paid discovery. I think it's, I think it's much fairer to call it roadmap uh, or something similar. And then say, um, once you have that to to loop back to the ditching hourly thing. Once you have that, you can present it on your on your website for a price. It's a thousand dollars, and if some you know solo individual who has really no revenue stream comes to your page and they see sees that, they'll be like, "That's crazy! It's I would never pay that much money for paid discovery because they don't see the value in it because they wouldn't get any value out of it. It's really just not worth it to them because there there's no upside for them they're they're not mature enough to recognize the value from something like that but if a much more mature business comes along say entertainment weekly who happens to be on wordpress and they have some cloud migration that they need to have done well guess what they don't want ford they don't want to lose the, the, lose the Ford advertising contract. So this needs to go smoothly and it needs to be perfect the first time. So let's figure out in advance exactly what we're going to do. Is it worth a thousand dollars to entertainment weekly to talk to a recognized expert on cloud migration for WordPress? Yeah, it is. And they come out of it with this thing that's wildly valuable to them. And what's cool for you, if you're the person offering this, is that that price point never has to go down. It could go just up every time you sell one, you could raise the price. You're like, oh, I sold it at a thousand. Let me try it at fifteen hundred. Let me try it at twenty five hundred. Let me try it at thirty five hundred. And as you do that, uh, while the price is going up, and your work is not increasing, in fact, you can decrease the amount of work it takes to deliver that because you can uh, automate aspects of the delivery. You can remove things that the clients, your clients, haven't really found that valuable, but are a real pain for you to do. Uh, and you can, uh, you just, you can create templates and libraries and all these things to make yourself more efficient at delivering this thing, which increases your profits. Again, nobody ever thinks about being more efficient, equaling increased profits when you're billing by the hour. You don't even think like that. So anyway, so that's, so that was my, I told you it was gonna be a long answer, right? <laughs> so that's the, that's, that is paid discovery, road mapping, productized services. And that's sort of my, my pitch for all of those things.
2: So um, what about your attitude around retainers
1: Yes, so the the word retainer is loaded. it means something different to everybody, and it's it's almost something that i've I've said often and recently that i my main income is from retainers, but I'm actually going to change that word because it is just so widely misunderstood uh people usually when they hear the word retainer, they think of it as one of three things, either like, a, like a, a legal retainer, which is really just prepayment for a block of hours. So you're really just billing hourly, but getting paid first, um, which is, I think, a, a joke but anyway. Um, that's one. The other thing they, they think is that uh, the retainer is um, like a maintenance contract, like a maintenance contract to me is not a retainer. It's a maintenance contract or a support contract. And before I was referring to the phases of the, of the client engagement and I talked about diagnostic and prescriptive and therapy, the implementation. Well, support contracts and maintenance contracts are the fourth stage, which are reapplication of the therapy. It's the lowest value part of the equation and the hardest to get a margin on. I wouldn't waste my time with it, frankly. Um, I, I don't like, I I don't want to leave my clients high and dry after a project. I'll put them in touch with someone who is happy to, to do support and maintenance because that's just the way their business model is, you know, they have a a ton of, of low cost employees. So it kind of makes sense for them to do a volume support thing. Um, but for me, you know, I'd rather stick, I don't, I don't like the idea of having employees. I'm not suited for as a manager. I'm just not suited for it personality wise. So I prefer to have no employees and just focus on the really high value things and not these kind of long tail engagements. So, so in that case, what is a retainer, right? When I say I make most of my money from retainers, what is that? And to me, what a retainer is, is it's purely advisory. It's a hotline to my brain. So if someone, let's go back to the example of Entertainment Weekly doing a cloud migration, Let's say they hired me to do the diagnosis of exactly what the problem is. And then I sort of lay out a roadmap of exactly what I think they should do. And then I say, I'll put you in touch with these five companies. I think they all do reputable work. And then you can you know, have them fight it out for however they want to fight it out and price it out. Then if you want to keep me on as an impartial observer on the project, that'll be whatever, 7000 $12,000 a month, something like that depending on the nature of the engagement. You know, if I have to fly or something, it's going to be more. But I I roll all of those costs into one price. If, you know, if I'm going to be flying monthly to, you know, Minnesota, I'm going to say, all right, it'd be $20,000 a month. I'll come out once a month for uh, a two-day meeting. And the rest of the time, you have 24-7 access to me via email, phone, Slack, whatever it is. So as questions come up, you can ask, what would you do in this situation? This situation came up, what would you do? Because they know, there are a bunch of reasons why this is valuable to them, but one of the most obvious is that I have no stake in the decision. I don't make more money if I recommend a particular thing. I make the same money no matter what. So they trust that my, you know, at least from a financial standpoint, I have no reason to recommend doing more more implementation because I don't make more money from that. So I can just say, they they, they just see you as this impartial expert, kind of like an expert witness, who they call upon when they are feeling either out of control or uncertain, or feeling a lot of risk, or maybe feeling like their uh, their development team is taking advantage of them, or you know, gouging them, or creating just you know, um, BSing them about how much work something's going to be. And so half the time I come in, I'll come in. It's almost like a mediator, and say, and a lot of times I'll say, no, actually, these these this team is is right. What you're asking them to do is crazy. And, and they know I'm not, they know I'm saying it because it's true. Not because I'm going to make less money or more money or anything like that. And, you know, to the right client, this is not valuable to every client, but to the right client, this is very valuable. And I've had, I've had at least one of these things going for at least five years. More often I have two going at once, sometimes three. So I promise you that there are clients out there to whom this is a valuable thing. And if you are, if you've been around, let's say you got, you know, gray hair like me, and have a lot of experience and have some street cred in your industry, you can dramatically increase the value you're delivering to your customers and create a really profitable offering for yourself by not doing development anymore, not doing design anymore. You know, stop typing those semicolons. You're never going to make more than $200 an hour typing semicolons. Even iOS developers, top-end iOS developers, it's hard to find one that makes more than 200 and they're probably the most in-demand developers out there. So you're, if you're a solo person, your, your income caps out at like $150,000 a year. There's no way around it. You either have to hire people work more or raise your rates and you can't raise your rates too much past 200. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to grow your business into mid five, you know, mid six figures, maybe to seven figures, you're not going to do it with hourly
2: billing. Oh, just fantastic answers. Um, I think um, we'll wrap up the podcast, and if Jonathan's up to it, we'll spend like 10 minutes with some bonus content.
0: How does that sound, John? It sounds great. I want to remind everyone, if you're getting value from this podcast, be sure to go to iTunes. Leave us a detailed review. Uh, We're at 66 reviews right now. We'd love to get to 100. And uh, if you leave us a review, we might read it on the air. Uh, And with that... How do we get a hold of you, Jonathan?
1: Best place to find me is to go to valuepricingbootcamp.com and sign up for my free five-day email course, where I drill into a lot of these topics in more detail. And uh, you know, you can interact with me. I, I read every single reply. So if you get on that list and you have a question, just hit reply, and I will answer.
0: And other Jonathan, how do we get a hold of
2: you? Oh, it's quite easy, folks. You can get me on Twitter at Jonathan Denwood. There's only one, actually, Jonathan Denwood. And, um, or you could email me at jonathan at wp-tonic.com. And uh, I'll, I will answer it probably the next day, um, but you'll get a personal answer.
0: And you can get a hold of me at my website, which is LockdownDesign.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Lockdown underscore page, uh, Facebook.com slash Uh For the WP Tonic, we're saying sayonara. Peace out. We out of here.
2: And join us on the bonus content. See you later, folks.
0: Bye.